Today on the podcast, we're having a conversation about energy. We all know that how you start your day shows up throughout the day. But if you're anything like me, finding routines that maximize your energy in leadership can feel a little challenging. Today, I'm joined by Lara Nassessian, and we explore how starting the day with a degree of predictability can actually set you up to tackle a world full of uncertainty. Joining me on the phone is Lara. She's an executive in a billion-dollar company, host of a top-rated podcast show, and online educator, helping ambitious individuals focus their energy to overcome their fears and build a magnificent presence. Once a shy, timid girl with big dreams and yet no idea how to go after them, Lara went on a deep journey of self-discovery, which led her to launch a purpose-led blog site, a place where she could share her personal growth and career insights, along with her elite habits that she established whilst helping others overcome their fears of showing up in person and online. Today, the Boston Heels podcast has been rated as one of the top career podcasts on Apple Podcasts Australia, and it's been rated as number one in Business Insider and Yahoo Finance, amongst many other publications. Today, Lara is on a mission to create a movement for ambitious individuals seeking elite routines, establishing CEO mindsets, and attaining world-class performance. She does all of this to help them unapologetically show up like the powerhouses that they are. I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. Lara, welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. Thank you so much for having me, Shane. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. I I love that we're kind of meeting up right now. We're in different parts of the world. You're normally in Australia, but right now, where in the world are you? I am in Austin, Texas, and we spoke before we pressed record that we are in completely opposite climates right now. It's about 38 degrees here and very, very hot. So definitely making the most of the sunshine while I can. I would do absolutely anything to be in a, you know, in that kind of temperature right now. It's freezing cold here in Melbourne. Uh, but hey, look, I'm looking forward to this conversation together. One of the things I'd love to do is we always kick off with three fast facts, which is where were you born? What was your first job? And then what do you do now? So my first uh, response to that is I was born in Sydney, Australia. My first job was actually working for, well, technically it was a babysitter when I was 13 years of age. I used to babysit some of our neighbors' kids. Um, And what I do now is I'm an executive for a billion dollar retail group uh, based in Australia. But I also am the host of the Boston Hills podcast and from the Boston Hills brand where we offer coaching and consulting services focused around energy and presence incredible and and quite a great podcast I've, I've watched some of the guests that you've had come through and um I've, I've kind of been connected with you in a loose way through linkedin like i mean when you talk about connected with people like everyone's on linkedin and we kind of see each other's things from time to time but um i've always kind of had this recurring theme that you keep popping up in my feed or you keep popping up in comments from people <laughs> and someone tagged me in a post and they were like Shane, you've got to get Lara for your podcast. And I was like, well, okay, of course, like a natural, uh, easy conversation to be having. Um, And so really, really grateful to have you um, on the podcast with me. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. I I would love to have a bit of a conversation, uh, maybe to learn a little bit more of your journey between 
being a 13-year-old babysitter and the work that you're doing now for a billion-dollar company. <laughs> I'm sure people are listening going, there's a bit of a story that I feel like we've missed. Um, if we were to take like a helicopter ride through your journey, what are some of the big touch points and what are the big kind of uh, uh, career journey that you've gone on uh, to get where you are now? Yeah, look, 13-year-old Lara was super shy. She was the good girl. She, you know, was following a scripted path and, you know, went through school, got good grades, eventually uh, got into psychology at university and I studied psychology for five years and then eventually landed uh, a job in, in human resources. And I actually started out working in HR for Napoleon Pettis Cosmetics. And I was the youngest person, I was the least experienced person in the team. And I really started from the ground up. I started doing all of the things that nobody else wanted to do. I would be in this dark, dingy file room with no lighting, with no air conditioning, with these piles and piles of paper, filing all these employee records. And it was really far from glamorous, but you know, I'm so grateful from the experience because it really did set the tone for all of the roles that were to come for me from that point onwards. And um, at that point, I was approached for a role um, heading up HR for different Australian fashion businesses and, and eventually started taking on more group strategic roles. And then that ultimately led me to taking on an executive role, um, as I mentioned earlier, for a billion dollar retail group, um, looking after everything to do with uh, people and, and comms and culture. And so there has been a lot of work that I've had to do from 13-year-old Lara, who was super shy, who didn't really have this kind of confidence that I have now. And I, I suppose the thing for me was, as I was working through my career in HR, I started getting really curious with myself because someone asked me this question, what is your, what is your purpose in life? And it actually really shook me, Shane, because I never ask, thought right? about it. It's a huge question to ask. And I think what really got me was the fact that I'd never even thought about it. And so the mere fact that I hadn't thought about why I had been put on this earth really led me to going down this thought process. And I did a lot of personal growth work and I uh, started reading lots of books and listening to podcasts and consuming content and finding that little thing within me. You know, what is the thing that lights me up the most? What do I feel most energized by? And that ultimately led me to starting Boston Hills and everything I do for, for the brand is around really empowering and inspiring other people to overcome their fears through focusing their energy and ultimately building a magnificent presence and doing the very thing that they were destined to do. So it's been a wild ride. It hasn't been easy. It's been full of lots of failure and rejection and uncomfortable moments and having to constantly push myself out of my comfort zone to do the things that terrify me but it truly has paid such a, a grand reward and I wouldn't trade it for anything else. I mean what an incredible journey you touched on something that I want to kind of rewind a little bit because you said you know 13 year old Lara was very shy you know 
not this kind of person that we see right now who's doing phenomenal work. And uh, I was asked recently on a podcast, if you were to give yourself an autobiography, what would you title it? And I, I kind of just, I did this exercise years ago when I was a kid and it, and the title that I gave it was too young, too old. And the idea was that <laughs> most of your life you told you're too young and then you, there's a tipping point where now all of a sudden you're too old and no, it never feels like anyone's just the right age for anything. But let's go to that kind of first job being young, getting into things, already having like a predisposition to being a bit shy and a little bit anxious. How on earth did you navigate that season of work to project, set you on a trajectory to do the work that you're doing now? I think the thing for me is I've always had this ability to be super open to feedback and super open to learning. So I've, I, I believe that there's sort of two camps. I think we either have a growth mindset or we've got a fixed mindset. And you can teach yourself to have a growth mindset by being really open to feedback and learning and new perspectives and new experiences, or you can stay really stuck with what you know. And for me, I've had this natural curiosity in me from a really young age, and I was really hungry to learn, to do better, to uh, understand what are people doing who I want to follow in, in their footsteps whether mm. they're world-class performers, whether they're other female leadership figures, what are the kinds of behaviours and traits that they have that I currently don't possess? And what are the things that I can start doing now in order to focus on getting one, one step closer to where I want to be? And so it has been a long game, Shane. You know, like there's certainly no magic pill or magic formula or overnight transformation or anything of that nature. Um, it has purely been through taking the lens of being really open, being really curious and also being really willing to do the work. And mm. I've never been shy when it comes to investing in myself personally or, or professionally. Even when I was much younger, I would spend $750 per hour uh, working with an executive coach um, who would help develop uh, speaking skills and presenting skills. And a lot of people would not maybe be willing to spend $750 an hour when you're not earning perhaps, you know, a, a huge salary at that time. So I think it's just remaining really, really open and curious and being willing to do the work is, is what's ultimately gotten me to where I am. I love that. I describe myself as curious by nature and a creative at heart. And I think if the curious by nature is probably the most descript quality. Uh, I love asking questions. I love learning from people. And to be honest, the podcast, this podcast is a bit selfish because I get more out of it than probably <laughs> a lot of people who listen to it because it's just a chance for me to be curious and ask great questions. I don't know what, I would love to hear your experience on this. I find curiosity is a really valuable skill to help you grow, but it's also a bit of a painful skill in the sense that when you realize that there's so much you don't know, that can come become quite a, a abrupt shock because you can get to a point where it's like, I know everything and it feels really good to feel like you know everything. But then to put yourself in that growth mindset, which is all of kind of Carol Dweck's work, which is you know, how do we get in that space of kind of continuing to grow? I don't know about you. Does that Did that feel painful to you? Did it feel like a, a bit challenging to face and come against the things, the realization that you don't know everything? There's definitely been moments in my journey where I felt really overwhelmed with the amount of information and insights that I don't know. 
And I mm. think particularly in today's digital age where with social media, we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people, what other people are doing, how much money other people are making, uh, what are their insights, what are the experiences that they're having. And it can easily lead us down this rabbit hole of feeling black and feeling like we're not good enough. And I would be lying if I said that I haven't had those moments of insecurity and moments of darkness and moments of doubt. My gosh, I've had so much doubt, so much self-doubt um, on this journey. And I suppose the way that I've been able to navigate that is actually doing the work of first recognizing what are these thoughts that I'm having? Why am I having these thoughts? What's actually triggering this for me? Because often it's not about the other person, it's about ourselves. And when we get triggered, it's not because of what someone else is doing, it's because of the feelings that it's bringing up within ourselves. So I think my best advice to anyone that is going through something like that is to, to maybe firstly look at what content you're consuming. Who are you watching? What Instagram stories are you viewing? And is this actually helping or harming you? and really looking at getting super clear on what kinds of people you want to be following, uh, what kinds of content actually makes you feel good and inspired and uplifted and focus your attention more on those types of things, more on those types of content. And then rather than getting really overwhelmed by the mountainous tasks ahead of you, I really like to break it down and, and Focus on just one or two simple things that you can do every single day to get you closer to your goal because you can either stay stagnant and get overwhelmed with all of the things that you have to do and how far you still have to get to or you can focus on what is one thing that I can do today? What is one little task or one daily action that is actually going to help me? And I think that it's a really important distinction to make and one that has ultimately helped me navigate through those more difficult periods of doubts. One of the things that I hear quite a lot in, in our conversation so far is the importance and the value of the right focus, being who you focus on, the goals that you're focusing towards, the person that you're becoming, the goals that you set for yourself. Um, I get the sense from our conversation that you're quite a um, driven, disciplined, focused person. Would I be right in making that assumption? You're you're pretty accurate in that assumption. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, look, you don't get to be doing what you're doing and having the influence that you have and the impact that you're making on, on, on the planet without having some sense of at least curiosity, willingness to grow, focus and some kind of discipline towards becoming the person that you see yourself becoming. Have you always been like that? Did, is this kind of a natural thing? Were you making to-do lists and checklists as, you know, as a young child? Yeah, it's an interesting one because ever since I can remember, I've had discipline and I've been very organized and I believe that those traits are innately me. I believe that I was just wired to be a really disciplined and organized person. It's part of my genes and my DNA <laughs> and it has served me really well. And I think that we all have our strengths. We all have our superpowers. And I think it's about recognizing and knowing what those are and then using them to your advantage. And so for me, uh, focus 
probably came later on. Um, but discipline and, and being quite structured in terms of routine, even when I was you know, studying for exams, I would lock myself up in my room for eight hours a day and give myself a one hour lunch break. And, you know, I was super structured and regimented. And I know that that isn't for everyone, but me having those qualities and those characteristics makes it quite natural and quite easy for me to use it as my default system. And it served me, served me well. I, I'm imagining you are the person who's locked yourself in a room with a one hour lunch break. And I'm the person walking in the hall, knocking on the door going, Lara, what are you doing? Come and hang out. Like what's going on? Like I'm, and I'm like, I'll study later. You know, I, for a long time, I, I told myself that I was last minute and I just felt like that was not a helpful frame for my life. And now I run a personal agile methodology where I like to operate on sprints. Um, and those sprints typically occur closer to a deadline. So I, I prefer that I operate in sprints than saying things are, are last minute for me. Um, but I, I would agree with you. It is really important as much as I, I joke around, you know, discipline doesn't come naturally to me. There's something to be said about really intentional routines. And um, whether you're a disciplined person or not a disciplined person, you can still have routine, right? It doesn't have to be a regimented hour, minute by minute kind of recollection of that, but you can have some routines. What role do routines play for you in your career and your life and what you're doing now? Absolutely. I, I think you're so spot on in that it, you make it work for you. I think that if you're not a regimented person and you don't want to, you know, capture what every minute of your day looks like, you don't have to make it look like that. For me, I feel like I get my best work done early in the morning and the greatest gift that I have ever given myself is the gift of a morning routine. So every day, every morning before everyone else starts calling me, emails coming through, the distractions, all of those kinds of things, I really like to spend the first, I would say close to two hours of the day on me for me. And I, like I mentioned, I wake up at five and I do have quite a regimented structure and I do uh, some breath work, I do meditation, um, I do a gratitude practice, I do journal on some questions that I ask myself to really set the intention and tone every day. I also make it a commitment to learn something in the morning and usually that's in the form of reading or listening to a podcast or an audiobook of some sort. And then movement is a really important one for me as well. So whether that is going to the gym and doing a super intensive HIIT workout and doing something really hard to start the day with or going for a beautiful walk in nature or by the ocean, that really does set the tone for the day. And I feel like when I am good to myself, I'm better for everyone else around me. I'm able to give everyone else the best version of myself because I'm good and I've looked after myself first. And I know that we've all heard this saying that you can't pour from an empty, empty cup. And it's so, it's so true. It's so simple, but it's so true. We have to be good to ourselves first before we can show up and be the best version of ourselves for others. And um, that I feel like has served me profoundly well in in my career, in my life, in my relationships. 
And I truly believe that that has set the tone for success and for being able to do all the things that I do. I, I like your your phrase. I spend the first two hours of the morning um, on me for me, and when I when I'm in a really good place, it shows up and it impacts the people that I'm leading and that are around me every single day. Um, one of my mentors, Matt Church, he has this phrase, which is leadership is when the best version of you speaks to the best version of a uh, best version of me speaks to the best version of you. And I just love that idea of like, what does it look like when we're both in the best place that we can be, and how would that shift the way that we communicate at work, the way that we lead at work, the way that we engage with the world around us it really does change us now i was listening to your morning routine and getting morning routine envy uh i mean i i do the movement bit i joined f45 at the start of this year which i'm pretty sure might be a cult i can't be certain um but I it's very cult f45 i used to do it <laughs> well maybe you maybe you got out maybe I'm, I'm i'm not there yet i'm still deeply immersed in the cult of f45 um, and i i do find that my day is better as i'm kind of moving and getting started in the morning but like I really, uh, you know, morning routines are always different for me. They feel like they chop and change. Yours feels so like idealistic for me. I was like, if I could do that, that would be a dream. Did you go from nothing to all of that? Or did you kind of adjust it and adapt it over time? I have spent years refining my morning routine. And to be perfectly honest, if I rewind the clock to a few years ago, it looked nothing like what it is today. I used to roll out of bed at the last possible minute after pressing the snooze button <laughs> 15 times and then I would cut corners. Instead of doing my hair properly, I would just slip it back because I'm like, cool, I'll save, you know, 15 or 20 minutes on that. And it was just so not ideal. And I used to start my day in a state of anxiety rather than a state of calm. And I found that before I'd even hit the office, I was stressed out and I was in a bad mood and it was just not serving me at all. And it was really through that curiosity that I started to study what are the world-class performers doing to start their day. And I would read and I would learn and I would ask lots of questions and I would then pull out the parts that really resonated with me. And I thought, you know, if I can even just start by going to the gym in the morning and just make that a commitment that I do every day. Um, and then it's gradually built on that from time. So even to this day, I'm still refining, adding, tweaking. Um, so mm. it's been years in the making. But I think to anyone that is finding it really difficult to do that. I think don't get overwhelmed by having to do 15 different things in the morning. Just start with one thing and nail that habit and really embed that habit into your daily routine. And then there's this concept which James Clear talks about in his book, Atomic Habits. It's a brilliant read all about um, you know, 1% um, improvement daily has massive compounding effects over time. And he talks about this notion of habit stacking, whereby once you have really nailed and embedded a habit and done that for a sustainable period of time, you can then introduce a secondary habit, which is tacked onto the initial habit. So it could be something as simple as every day I'm going to make the bed and then I'm going to go and do some kind of daily movement. Um, so it's always introducing this concept of I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. 
And so all I've effectively done it without realizing at the time it was habit stacking was gradually building on different things across physical health, mindfulness and learning and education across those three different pillars um, and stacked on different habits over time. So it definitely didn't start out like this. And I think to anyone that's curious about how to establish a really profound routine, I was my best advice is just start with one thing and then you can build with that over time. Yeah, I mean, if people who are looking for resources on that, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, is a phenomenal book. Um, in terms of encouraging us to do little things rather than big, audacious, ambitious things, uh, because the little things do compound over time. I, I love, he tells a story in the book about his friend who he was trying to encourage to get to go to the gym. And he basically said, I just want you to go to the gym for five minutes and then leave. And, you know, or if I, I, I just want you to go downstairs there, I think he was in New York and I just want you to catch a taxi to the gym. Like in the goal was just to get in the taxi. And I took that and I was like, you know what? My goal is to get into running and get, get out and run more. And my goal was not to get out and run five kilometers. It was just to put on my gym clothes. Cause I knew if I did that, if I put on my running clothes, I wasn't going back to bed. And it meant that I was more likely to get out in the door and start running. Um, so little things over time can have such a huge impact, right? Completely. And I would also say, just to add to that, because I feel like that's a really good point, make it easy for yourself. There's no need to make going to the gym in the morning a really difficult task. Uh, what I find really helps for me is to set everything up the night before to make the next morning run as smoothly and effortlessly as possible. So even if that is to the degree of laying out your gym clothes and having your uh, workout shoes in a really accessible place um, so that you're not scrambling, looking for something to wear and making that an excuse to not go. <laughs> so I think just making it as easy as possible for yourself can, it sounds so simple, but it really does yeah. go a long way. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm, I'm going to speak to a couple of listeners right now. Uh, there's, there's someone who's listening to my podcast. It's a dad and it's a mum, and they're going <laughs> nice. Nice, Shane. Nice, Lara. You're talking about two, two hours in your morning routine of breathing and mindfulness. You haven't seen the chaos in our house every morning as we're trying to pack lunches for school and get kids into the car and, you know, get kids out of bed. And my morning routine is non-existent right now. Um, I mean, what do you say to those people that are listening and going, eh, it seems good, but, you know, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's a funny one. And to be honest, I get asked this all the time. It comes up uh, all the time. Look, I'm not a parent, so I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in, in the subject of parenting and coordinating kids in the morning or anything of that nature. But what I would say is just try and do one little thing for yourself before you get into the mode of getting your kids ready for the day and turning on mum and dad mode for the day. And even if that is just waking up 10 minutes earlier and allowing yourself to make yourself a cup of coffee or tea in peace and just think of a couple of things that you feel grateful for in the moment. Maybe you're even just grateful for the fact that you had that gift of 10 minutes before the chaos of the day starts. Um, I don't think it needs to be these overwhelmingly complex things that we're striving for. I think that the point is just to do something 
give yourself the gift of something, even just 10 minutes. And Tony Robbins says this, this is not my quote, but it's Tony Robbins's quote. He says that if you don't have 10 minutes to give yourself in your day, then you don't have a life. And at some point throughout the day, there is 10 minutes being wasted, whether that's 10 minutes scrolling through Instagram or falling into the rabbit hole of TikTok or, you know, we're all guilty of wasting time. So being really intentional about how you use those 10 minutes can really serve you and can really just set a completely different tone and state for you to start your day. Yeah. You said something which I think is a huge takeout from this conversation and I want to explore it a little bit with you. You said, I give myself the gift of calm in the morning so that I can take that and deal with the chaos of the day. And I would get the sense that there are a lot of people who give themselves chaos in the morning <laughs> and as a result, bring chaos into their day. And work is chaotic enough. Like if you're in any kind of leadership role or high performing role, work is chaotic enough. We don't need, need more chaotic people coming into work. And so what do you see as the role? Like, look, let's talk about your role in terms of the business in the HR space right now. What is your role in terms of being a calming presence or a non-anxious presence in the business? How important is that for you in your role? It's such a critical part of my role. Honestly, that is more, it takes up more of my time and energy than I think anyone could ever imagine. So much of my time is spent talking people off the ledge um, so to speak, and really being that calming force when things get quite heated. And particularly in my industry, the types of projects that we have going on, there are a lot of demands, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of moving parts. And so there's all kinds of people challenges, there's all kinds of emotions there's all kinds of issues which arise as a result of just the nature of, of what we're working on. And I imagine that many businesses have got these same sorts of challenges. Anyone that's going through any kind of change, any kind of growth um, is going to experience these, these pain points within their business. And so for me to be that calming force and to be able to think really clearly and think really strategically and also diffuse a lot of situations or also be really proactive before things uh, get to a, a point of eruption. Um, I really do need to come to them from a place of calm because if I'm matching their energy, then I'm not gonna be able to diffuse the situation um, I need to be able to come to them from more of a place of calm to be able to really diffuse and dissolve and work through a, a really beneficial outcome. So it is such a critical part of what I do. And some of the best people leaders that I've personally worked with, one of their, their strongest attributes is being able to remain calm amongst the storm. And I'm going to use the example of, of an aeroplane because, you know, even just flying over to the US recently, we experienced quite a lot of turbulence on, on the flight at a certain point. And I was just observing what all the other passengers around me were doing. And naturally, the human instinct is to look for the leader 
and see what the leader is doing and how they're responding. And if the in this case, if, if the flight attendant looks calm and like they're just carrying on as per usual, no one else is freaking out. But if the flight attendant were to start panicking and, and look stressed and worried, that's not really going to be helping anyone. So I always kind of come back to that example because I think it's just such a, a great representation that people, everyone's gone through that experience of being on a flight with, with some turbulence, I'm sure. And I think that leadership is very much the, the same premise. And I think that, like I said, some of the best people leaders that I've worked with or experienced um, difficult situations with have had that ability of remaining calm. So it truly is a superpower. Yeah, I, I love this conversation because even though the conversation started out talking about routines, it's really not about routines, is it? I mean, the routine is part of what helps bring calm to us as a leader so that we can bring calm to our organizations, to our businesses and to our teams. And we can have a decluttered mind so that we can make the best decisions moving forward. So for people who are sitting there going, oh, this is just a podcast about routines. It's actually, I mean, yes, it's about the routine, but it's what the routine produces in us as a leader, which is that calming, non-anxious presence. It's the pilot that comes over the cabin and the speakers during turbulence says, hey, ladies and gentlemen, everything's perfectly okay. And everyone sits ah, back in their seat and can relax a little bit. And so routines are so critical, but whatever that looks like for you. And when I thought of the parents or the people who are going, you know what, this doesn't seem like I can take two hours. I go, you know what, when you pull into the car park at work and you've got two or three minutes before you walk inside, sit down, take 60 seconds to be to do a bit of mindfulness be aware of your surroundings anchor yourself in the present moment do some deep breathing if that's all you can do as part of your morning routine gosh that will make a huge difference right it really would sometimes it is really just finding those little moments that one or two minutes for yourself can really help ground you really help um, bring you back into the present moment and it doesn't have to be complicated Mm, I love that. Okay, here's here's the, the final thing before we wrap up. I'm going to give you a little soapbox to stand on um, about morning routines, just about routines in general, why they're so important. Um, speak directly to the people who are listening to this podcast and, and stand on a soapbox for 30, 60 seconds and tell us why this is just so critical for people. Yeah, look, routines truly do help set the foundation and tone for your career, for your lives and for your relationships. And I know through firsthand experience that having a routine, having some sort of predictable practice, particularly over the past couple of years where we have gone through so much ambiguity, so much turmoil, so much negativity, so much uncertainty and adversity in the world, if you can just have one moment of certainty in a morning routine and doing something good for yourself and doing something predictable for yourself every day, then it will serve you profoundly well. You will show up with more energy. You will build a magnificent presence. It will lead you to doing remarkable things, overcoming fears, and ultimately can lead you to living out your highest purpose and vision for yourself. So I truly believe that just one little shift in the morning, giving yourself that gift of a morning routine can really have a profound impact on the rest of your life and the people around you. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. The thing that I, I love, there are two kind of things that came out through our conversation. It's the 
you can have certainty in the calamity of the world that we're going to have so that you can bring calm into what is chaos, which is just super, super valuable for anyone who's in leadership right now. Lara, thank you so much for joining me on Phone Calls with the Clever People. This has been such a great conversation. How do people connect with you? Obviously, Boss in Heels, great podcast. People jump over and listen to. Um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Thank you so much, Shane. Well, I think at the time this podcast goes live, I'm actually going to be changing over a lot of my social handles over to Lara Nassessian. So best Instagram handle is Lara underscore Nassessian. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, my website, uh, laranassessian.com. And as you mentioned, the Boston Hills podcast available anywhere you can download podcasts. So thank you so much for having me. It's been such a joy and pleasure speaking with you today, Shane. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.